Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, May 24th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On this week's financial show, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the prospects of inflation, how that relates to all of the volatility we've seen in the crypto markets recently. SoFi is getting ready to go public. We're going to talk a little bit about, a little bit more about that and what investors can expect, as well as uh, some recent earnings from SoFi. Uh, also, Square is raising some money. We'll talk a little bit about what they might do with the $2 billion that they are going to be raising. As always, we'll have one to watch for you to wrap up the show. And as always, I've got my partner in crime here with me this week. It's certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Yeah, just great. It's a brutally hot day in South Carolina. <laughs> Man, it was brutally hot here in Virginia yesterday, but it cooled down a little bit today. So uh, you got a nice little break from things. So uh, you know, I, I guess for for guys like you, I, we were talking before taping. They're in the middle of installing the pool and at, at your house, and and the heat, I'm sure, has just got you uh, very impatient. Yes, very much so. My, my my kids more than me. They don't understand why they can't just go jump in it right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, isn't it always the way? Uh, well, Matt, this has been an interesting week here. Uh, there has been a lot of volatility in, in, in a lot of news, a lot of headlines devoted to uh, cryptocurrencies recently. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that. And, and coupled with that, though, there was also an interesting article uh, here recently in the Wall Street Journal that talked a little bit more about inflation. Um, and, and exactly how that may be uh, presenting itself in the economy today. Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit first about inflation, uh, where where we think things could be headed, and what what that could mean for investors. Because generally speaking, I mean, when you talk about inflation, I mean that's not something that is clearly detrimental to stocks, but it's absolutely something that can play into uh, growth expectations and performance. Investors need to take this stuff, uh, they, they need to keep this stuff in mind um, as we see the potential here for inflation to start, I don't know, possibly accelerating a little bit here in the coming uh, months and, and even quarters. Yeah, well, right now, we just saw the uh, the April inf- inflation data um, showed that consumer prices rose a little over 4% year-over-year, 4.2%. That's definitely above the Fed's 2% inflation target. The question is, are we going to see a short-term bump in inflation due to the reopening? You know, just kind of a one-time, like, you know, demand rushes into the market, we see a little inflation all of a sudden, or is it going to be more of a prolonged trend as... You know they've thrown trillions of dollars of stimulus into the economy. They've been printing money for years, for a couple of years now. Um, is that going to cause a lot of inflationary pressure on the back end? Um, we've recently saw wage growth is at the highest it's been in a long time, um, which could also help play into inflation. So it's not necessarily a good or bad thing for your stock portfolio. It depends what you're investing in. Um, the traditional hedge against inflation is always thought to be gold or silver, precious metals, things like that, which, to be fair, do a pretty good job of keeping up with inflation over time. Not much more, but they do hedge against inflation. Um, 
we'll get into the cryptocurrencies in a minute. I'm sure Jason has an opinion on it, as I do. Um, but as far as the stock market goes, when if you're worried about inflation, the best advice I can give is to stick with companies that have a lot of pricing power. Um, for example, if if consumer prices rise by 10%, Apple has the ability to raise the price of their iPhone by 10% and people are still going to buy it. Um, there are industries that are a lot more competitive, don't have quite as much pricing power. So that's one thing to ask yourself. If, if, if inflation really picks up, what companies will be able to take advantage of the increases in prices? And being that this is the financial show, banks are somewhat inflation protected. Because inflation generally comes with rising interest rates, which if you're a business that lends money, that's a good thing, um, provided demand, but it's a you know fine balance between supply and demand. If inflation stays at 4% like it is now, which is a pretty elevated rate, that could be a good thing for banks if you know rates tend to tick up. If inflation jumps to 10% and interest rates really kind of skyrocket out of control, that'll hurt consumer demand and it's bad for banks. So banks are what I call kind of a moderate inflation hedge. They tend to do well with periods of, of decent but controlled inflation. Um, and then there are kind of the, the big box stores or, and the, the dollar stores and things like that that tend to do pretty well during inflationary times. Because if you're going to go grocery shopping, for example, you're not going to get much cheaper than Walmart or Costco. Um, so those tend to get people spending money no matter what the economy is doing. So it's not necessarily that you need to be out of stocks and into gold, silver, or cryptocurrencies if you you believe inflation is really going to stay elevated for a while. It's just to make sure you focus on kind of the right kind of companies that won't get crushed in an inflationary environment. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're I think you're right there. And um, inflation is really it's an interesting thing to to observe because I mean one of the one of the things that stands out to me just recently or at least I mean looking last week um, through the earnings releases and the calls for Home Depot and Lowe's um, in, in a theme over the past couple of quarters. Uh, if if you've been anywhere near the housing market, then you probably know this. But lumber prices have really taken off. Uh, lumber lumber prices have have really taken off. And and what you see in the language in these calls is that while Home Depot and Lowe's are able to continue selling that lumber because you know they they typically have to. I mean that's that's a unique market. They do start to recognize some gross margin pressure from that lumber. They can only price it so much, right? I mean, they can only realize so much pricing power on something like a lumber uh, before it, it starts to, to cap out. And, and you see a little bit of gross margin pressure there. And and so, it's just, it, to me, that was one thing that kind of stood out. Um, but I also, I wonder, what do you, in regard to inflation, I mean, it, it seems like right now, we've got, we've got a lot of interesting things going on. We've got uh, the economy reopening, We've got a lot of stimulus out there. We've got folks who should have, in theory, a, a, you know, some money to spend. It sounds like. Um, but we've also seen a supply chain crunch, it, and I'm not talking about just semiconductors either. I mean, this really does seem to be uh, extending across all areas of the economy. I mean, there's just some supply chain issues that are playing out. So when you start to have a limited supply of things, and you've got a surplus of, of, of dollars, surplus of money out there. Uh, for people to be spending, I mean that that seems to be, I mean th those are the conditions that inflation just loves. 
Yeah, for sure. You're, we're definitely seeing a supply chain crunch. Um, I mean, that's why the lumber um, market is going so crazy. Uh, a lot of that is is supply chain. Um, so yeah, that that also can create inflationary pressures. And like you said, there are certain things where there isn't that much pricing power. If if people, you know, you can you can only raise prices on lumber so much before people are going to stop building decks on their house um, and kind of pump the brakes on the unnecessary spending. But at the same time, something like milk, the price of milk can double and people are still going to buy it. The price of gas could double, which it almost has from from the past year. The price of gas can double and people are still going to fill their tanks up. There are a lot of industries that do have a lot of pricing power. You'll see demand kind of bend a little bit, but demand is a lot more flexible in some industries than others. Yeah, relatively inelastic, I'd say. I mean, it's just it's not going to really change much. And and I mean, the gas is a perfect example there. Uh, it was an interesting data point I was I was reading uh, when I, when I was reading through this piece, and it just struck me that this is why we talk about it. I mean, this data right here from early 1973 through last December said stocks have delivered positive inflation adjusted returns in 90 percent of rolling 12 month periods that occurred when inflation was below three percent. And rising. Now that number, 90%, falls to 48% during periods of time when inflation was above 3% and rising. And so for those who ask, why are we talking about this? I mean, that's why we're talking about it because there is data out there that shows it does matter. You have to be maybe a little bit more picky uh, when it comes to your to your stock purchases. Uh, now the flip side, it's it's not just stocks that that uh, do this dance when when inflation starts uh, becoming more part of the conversation. I mean, we you mentioned gold and silver as being uh, traditional hedges. I think I think a lot of people are familiar with those. Uh, recently, clearly, we've been talking more and more about cryptocurrencies uh, lately. Bitcoin being sort of the standard, I guess. But then all of these other coins coins that come come with the conversation. And I mean, I, crypto. I think there's just a million different opinions out there. I mean, you either buy into it or you don't. Um, I think it's probably safe to say that you and I are both a bit more on the skeptic side, the <laughs> skeptical side of things. Uh, but generally speaking, I mean, how how why would crypto be seen as a hedge to inflation? Well, first of all. Um, <laughs> In in the in the words of Ringo Starr, I say this with peace and love. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I think the last week or so, the price action in cryptocurrencies has shown that it is not a store of value yet. Okay. Whatever side of the argument you're on, whether cryptocurrency is the future of finance or not, I think we've seen that a, you know a store of value doesn't lose twenty percent of its value in a week. That's not a store of value. That's literally the opposite of a store of value. That's, That's evaporating true. value. Um, <laughs> Ethereum is the other one, which I actually think has more potential than Bitcoin in a lot of ways, uh, is down 36% in the past week. The, in one week, I don't know if that's ever happened with the US dollar, where it's lost you know, 20% of its value against any other major world currency in, in the span of a week. It's not there yet. The big argument why Bitcoin is a hedge, if you ask certain people, is because there's a finite amount of it. Same reason that gold is a hedge. It's you know, they, the government can't just print more gold. The government can't just print more Bitcoin. Which I buy that to a certain extent. If we had reached the point where Bitcoin was widespread adoption, it was a, a readily usable currency. It was an accepted store of value by more than just 
say 10 to 20% of the population, which it is right now. We're, we're just not at the point where you can call Bitcoin a store of value. And you have to have it be a store of value before you can really call it a hedge against inflation. Um, this, the, the recent price action really kind of, in my mind, invalidates the hedge argument. Yeah, I, th- I think that's. I think that that makes perfect sense. I mean, it it, it really all boils down to supply, um, the, the finite supply. That makes perfect sense. Um, let's 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 think about though how. Let's fast forward ten years. I mean, are are we are we there in ten years where Bitcoin can be seen by most as a reasonable store of value? I mean, I I would assume. That the way things are going, we are probably going to continue to grow. At least, uh, folks who see the merits of cryptocurrencies in, in whatever shape or form. I mean, there's going to be, I think, continued adoption, albeit probably somewhat slowly for the masses. But I mean, at some point or another, maybe we do get there. It's not to say we would never get there. There you go, trying to bait me again. <laughs> um, no, I. I... I don't. I think it's a mistake for anybody to think of it as a given that we are eventually going to get to mass adoption of cryptocurrencies. That's still very up in the air at this point. Um, during some of our Bitcoin Day interviews, one of our experts that I interviewed, I'm not sure which one off the top of my head, but one of them referred to what's going on right now as an inflection point, where we're either going to see Bitcoin kind of accelerate into mass adoption or not. Um, it It's not going to keep going at its current pace, where you're going to have 10 to 20% adoption. They you know, that that subset of the population just believes in Bitcoin forever, you're either going to see it really start gaining traction or go the other way. I really think it's a, it's a very binary outcome. Um, I personally don't think it's going to get there. I'm very skeptical of the long-term use case of Bitcoin. Ethereum is where, when you hear about all these projects being done on the blockchain and things like that, and um, like MasterCard and Visa and and all these other fintechs are are having are, have their own blockchain divisions and are developing blockchain um, finance programs and things like that. Generally, that's on the Ethereum blockchain. So I could see that having more staying power than Bitcoin. But I I really don't think you're going to see Bitcoin become a, a mainstream currency. I just don't. Um, I, I I like the concept. I like the technology. I've mined Bitcoin. I've used Bitcoin. I lived off Bitcoin for a day in Las Vegas just to see if I could do it. <laughs> um, I, so, like I said, I say this with peace and love. I just don't see it getting there. Yeah, yeah. I I tend to agree with you, um, but by the same token, I've I've learned as an investor. I mean, it's just one of the one of the things I've just learned is you just always keep an open mind. I I, I am going to keep an open mind to it. I, it doesn't mean I'm interested in it. I don't care about it. I still don't see the use case for it. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, I also wouldn't be surprised at all if 10 years from now, maybe we, we did see some uh, some some sort of change in the mentality or, or some some material use cases for for it and other cryptos. I, I, it's just going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting story to follow. There's no question about it. But Sure. Uh, I mean, if you and I are wrong and it does gain mass adoption, in 10 years, Bitcoin could be a million dollars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My prediction I mean, with a finite supply of them. I mean, that it absolutely could be. My prediction is that in ten years, Bitcoin will either be over five hundred thousand dollars or under a thousand dollars. Wow. Nowhere in the middle. All right. It, where right. I, I'm either going to be really right or really wrong. I don't see it. Kind of. I don't. I mean, say what you will. Over the past ten years of Bitcoin's existence, it hasn't done a lot of just kind of puttering along. <laughs> it's either gone up or down or up or straight up or straight down. So I if. 
if the the current the the past ten years continues, um, you know, Bitcoin's a million dollars in ten years. But if 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 it, it interest can really evaporate quickly if it's if it doesn't pan out. So I guess yeah. I think it's going to be really high or really low. Yeah, I think that interest is going to be key. I mean, if it's something like twenty percent of the population right now has a, has a has dabbled a toe in the crypto space, we're going to need to obviously have, have a lot more than that to, to create the ongoing interest. Uh, otherwise, you're right; it, it will it will have a hard time. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one to follow for sure. Uh, Matt, a company that you and I like to talk about a lot on this show is getting ready to. Uh, start trading on the on the uh, public markets here. It looks like uh, SoFi, Social Finance Technologies, is going to be trading. They're going to begin trading on Tuesday, June first. So a week from tomorrow, we're going to see SoFi out there on the public markets. Uh, you recently had just gone through some earnings results for the business, and you were impressed with what you saw. Yeah. So as you said, they're going to start trading on the Nasdaq, assuming everything goes according to plan with their meeting and shareholder vote and all that. They'll be trading on the 1st, which is the first trading day after the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it'll be on the NASDAQ. The uh, The current symbol IPOE, the SPAC, is on the on the New York Stock Exchange, so it's moving exchanges. Um, at that time, the shares and the warrants, whichever ones you own, will automatically convert over to the new ticker symbol. There's nothing you need to do. Um, if you still own the original units, if it was the IPOE units... Those will automatically break apart into shares and warrants of SoFi upon closing, just so you know what to expect. There's nothing you need to do. Um, looking at the results, it was they pretty much knocked it out of the park. Um, first quarter net revenue was 216 million. They had been guiding for 190 to 195, so they came in above the high end of their own guidance range. Um, their earnings were a little over four million dollars. They had been guiding for a loss of five million to a gain of one million, so they blew that expectation out of the water too. So on the top and the bottom lines, they really just smashed their own expectations. Um, their member count is two point two eight million. That's a hundred ten percent higher than it was a year ago. This is the seventh consecutive quarter where their growth rate has accelerated. That's pretty impressive. Um, if you remember, uh, about a, uh, a year or so ago, they acquired the Galileo. It's kind of the back-end fintech infrastructure platform. They provide third-party infrastructure services. Um, they now have 70 million client accounts, up from 59 million a year ago, um, which the Galileo platform is one of my big, um, the big biggest parts of my thesis on the company. Uh, they originated $2.5 billion of loans in the quarter. Uh, a little less than half of that was personal loans, and they had some... Um, you know, they do their uh, the student loans is the the big they, that was what SoFi was originally founded to do. Uh, they expect just under a billion dollars of revenue this year, which is pretty impressive. That would be fifty eight percent growth over twenty twenty. Um, and they're just starting to launch some new verticals, uh, auto loans. They they're just getting into. Um, they're really just ramping up their brokerage business. They're just getting their banking charter. Uh, if you remember that SoFi just acquired a small bank um, for the purpose of kind of accelerating that process and is putting a lot of its own capital behind it. So the numbers look pretty impressive. Um, and the shares are up significantly since that was announced. Um, and I think it's it's pretty plain to see why. <laughs> These numbers were just impressive all around. Yeah, it sounds like... Uh... 
it sounds like Anthony Noto has has got the has got the business really headed in the right direction. I mean, I, I remember at the time when he left Twitter to go to SoFi, it was a little curious. Um, but now it <laughs> it makes a whole heck of a lot more sense. Um, he really did seem to to get in with with the business there at the right time to help them start building up what is is. I think something pretty special here. It seems like they're onto something big, and and, and clearly the numbers that you've you've just gone over, uh, the initiatives uh, are leading to a business. I think investors really have they have to have this one on their radar. Yeah, I was thrilled when they announced that this was going to be the the merger target for IPOE, and <laughs> I am not planning on selling my shares. I've added to my position since they announced it. All right. Um, I am a big SoFi fan. I think they're a very disruptive financial company. And I think they could be the next square in my portfolio. Wow. Well, there's some conviction for you folks. Listen listen up, because Mr. Frankel's got a track record, and it's a pretty darn good one. <laughs> so keep that in mind, Matt. Thanks. Well, I got, it, I, get it on, I got it on square three days after its IPO. Well, um, I mean, that's that's not, not bad timing. Not bad and timing. I, and technically, I got it to SoFi like three months before its IPO, since it was a SPAC deal. Wow. So. Oh, my goodness. But we'll, well, we'll see. I mean, I haven't won the SoFi bet yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, not that's yet. Still, that's early stage still. No, but it looks like it looks like at least things are headed in the right direction. Um, speaking of Square, just we caught some interesting news here recently. Square is uh, going to be raising some money here. It looks like they are issuing some debt to the tune of $2 billion, Matt, uh, taking advantage of what is still a very low interest rate environment. Uh, I think if I see this correctly, senior notes 2.75% stretched out to uh, 2026. That's one tranche, and then another tranche at 3.5% stretched out to 230 to 2031. Uh, I mean, $2 billion, it, it, to me, I mean, they, they, they offer up just the standard. We can use this for general corporate purposes, which may include you know potential acquisitions, transactions, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I, I feel like, to me... This really strikes me as, I mean, this is something I feel like they're really going to be investing a lot here uh, into the square capital side of the business. I mean, this is really the next act for this business, don't you think? Yeah, well, in a way, this move left me with more questions than answers. And I'll tell you why. Square already had $4.3 billion in unrestricted cash just sitting on its balance sheet. Why do they need another $2 billion? I feel like if you already have over $4 billion in cash... And you decide to raise another two billion in cash, you need to give me something more than we're going to use this for general <laughs> corporate purposes. Um, you're right; it's a very low cost of capitals, but that's never really been a problem for Square. I think their last um, their last debt offering, correct me if I'm wrong, was convertible notes at zero percent interest that could just be converted to stock sometime in the in the future. Um, so they've never really had a problem accessing low cost capital, and this was a private placement to institutional investors. Um, I no, they're going to be building out the square capital. I mentioned uh, SoFi's bank. They're putting, I think, $700 million of their own capital behind behind to build out their bank. Square will conceivably be bigger as a, as a bank um, just because they're a bigger business right now. So they could need more capital for, for square capital. I would have liked some more guidance. And apparently investors agree, by the way. The stock was down 5% right after they announced that. Um, so, so it the market reacted negatively to this. And normally, if someone's raising low cost, if Square was raising capital at those interest rates you said, so an average of about three percent, and we knew they were going to turn that into something that was going to be a ten percent return or something to that effect, 
Of course, the market would be cheering that. When when real estate stocks raise low cost capital, it's often cheered by the market. So I think a lot. It was kind of the the question of why are you raising this? Um, like, you know, if if you know Berkshire Hathaway is one we talk about that has 140 billion or whatever on the balance sheet. If they came out tomorrow and said we're going to raise 20 billion dollars of fresh debt. Wouldn't your reaction be why? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's normally, I mean, I, I like to know at least what they're trying to do with it. And I mean, right. you raise a good point there. I feel like general corporate purposes just doesn't doesn't cut it when you when no. you already have that much cash and you're, you want more. No, it's, it's a cop out and it's obviously just a cut and paste statement. Um, but now, you know, you, you make me think about it a little bit more. I, I wonder if, I mean, you, you can't help but wonder if maybe they've, they've got, uh, you know, a, a target or two. Uh, in the crosshairs for a potential acquisition here. I mean, I just that's uh, my thought, and maybe yeah. they just can't say. Maybe um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Square go after like a SoFi or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, after everything you just said about SoFi, it, it actually wouldn't shock me. I mean, it, it, they seem to be very in line with with leadership, and I mean, clearly Jack and and, and Anthony have a history. I mean, they know each other, and I mean, they had a good relationship. So I, I yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, uh. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of. Co- I, I mean, Square recently acquired Title, which I didn't see that coming. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot that I could see them going at. Like even like Robinhood, I could see Square doing that because it would it would bring tens of millions of new customers into their ecosystem. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it I would. Could, I could see them. I mean, just the customer acquisition alone would be worth that acquisition. Oh yeah, I, I would imagine. I'd imagine they'd be like, "Hey, listen, guys, we just want your customers. We really don't want your business or like your right. model or like any of your policies or procedures. You can keep all that stuff. We just want the customers." Or maybe one of the smaller crypto exchanges to help better compete with Coinbase or something to that effect, ah, yeah. like a Gemini. I could definitely see them going after a company like that. Well, so, I mean, I, I, I hope they're building a war chest for act to really build out their ecosystem. Is really, it's my hope. But the market was not happy with the kind of. Yeah, general corporate purposes type thing, because what do you need that for? Come on. <laughs> well, Matt, let's take a stronger <laughs> stance then for our listeners here. And as we wrap up, before we take off, uh, let's take a strong stance for our listeners here with our ones to watch. What is the stock that you are watching this week? Well, here's a strong stance. I'll, do, I'll give you a twofer. <laughs> uh, I, I'm watching two of my favorite SPACs this week, and for good reason. Uh, the first one is IPOF, that is Social Capital Head of Sophia Holdings 6. Uh, that's why they, we just call it IPOF, to not have to say that name. Um, this is Chamath's big SPAC. They raised a billion dollars uh, in, in 2020. The latest rumors are going to be taking Equinox Public, the fitness company that competes with Peloton. Um, a lot of investors aren't too thrilled with that, which is why IPOF really hasn't moved. Um, since since that rumor started trickling out, if anything, the stock is down a little bit. Um, but we haven't seen the terms of the deal or anything, and, and Chamath has been really good about getting a good deal. Um, and if I'm investing in a pre-deal spec, I like anything that at a, at the right price. So I'm um, I'm curious to see what he does with it. I think that it could, that could be a good competitor for Peloton, and I'm I'm interested. Uh, and then Pershing Square Tontine Holdings, uh, Bill Ackman spec. Ackman said a couple weeks ago that he hopes to have. He has been talking to a, quote, iconic company. Uh, He hopes to have a deal finalized within weeks. This is his words, Ackman's words. Um, So we could hear very soon. A lot of people think it's Stripe. I don't know. I I don't know if I'd call Stripe an iconic company. Um, I think that might be Bloomberg, which was the other big rumored um, play. 
the Bloomberg media empire taking that public. Um, but so I'm watching those two SPACs because I have a feeling the next couple weeks will be very interesting for both of them. Yeah, that is really cool. That'll that'll be well worth watching. Um, I'm veering away a little bit from the financial markets here, but a, a business I think we really all investors should at least take note of Autodesk. Uh, ticker there is ADSK, uh, and Autodesk earnings will be coming out this week, uh, Thursday after the market closes. I believe uh, they will be. Uh, releasing their earnings report, and Autodesk is in 3D design, engineering, entertainment software. That that AutoCAD product, the computer-aided design uh, that they that they provide, very uh, very strong, reputable business. Been at it for a while. Um, subscription style business, subscription revenue accounts for 91% of total revenue now, and that revenue retention rate stays in that 100 to 110% range. So, they get their customers, they keep their customers, they continue to roll out new services for their customers. Um, it, it was interesting. They Management sees things coming back, right? I mean, this, this whole reopening, I mean, people... Uh, getting back to work, businesses opening their doors. Uh, they they expect the back half of this year to be strong. As such, they're actually considering uh, introducing a uh, potentially a, a consumption based um, dynamic to their business model, uh, just just to be able to accommodate the customers that would need it. And, and honestly, to me, that that seems a bit. A bit like of a Cloudflare type of thing to do. Uh, for those who know Cloudflare, uh, they they have uh, everything from the con- from the usage base uh, to to the subscription model and and offering uh, what your clients, what your customers need, I think is a very customer centric thing to do. Uh, but they are calling for. Uh, earnings of of four dollars and ninety three cents at the midpoint for the year that puts shares around sixty times earnings today, um, which are sixty times full year estimates, which is is clearly not cheap. But uh, you're also getting a, a very strong business that generates a lot of money, a lot of cash, a lot of earnings, and um, and so I'll be very interested to hear what they have to say. Just generally speaking about the business environment and how they see the rest of this year playing out, because there's been a lot of good news that's come out since they reported last. Uh, so company I've owned, a company I own, a company I've recommended, and uh, and that'll be what I'm keeping my eye on this week. Uh, but Matt, I think that is going to do it for us this week. As always, thanks so much for jumping on and sharing all of your knowledge. Of course, always fun to be here. Hopefully, next time I will have a have a, a pool that I can actually use and not just look at. Well, we'll we'll uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to. You, you can record from the pool, and uh, we could hear like the splashes and the, just the the sound of joy. We'll we'll, we'll be waiting for that. I'm ex- I'm excited for you, man. It'll be fun. <laughs> Me too. It's it's been a long time coming. <laughs> Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool dot com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks as always to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.